25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Yeah, baby! Y'all can't get enough Jerry today, can you? Just play football. We're going to talk a little football in this hour. I'm Matt, here in the Farm Bureau studio. Listen to me. Farm Bureau. Go! With the home team. (laughs) Did I get you? They are the home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, fast service, friendly service. That's what you get one-on-one, somebody that you can... Develop a friendship with, and you know, you go to church with them, your kids go to school together, somebody right there in your hometown. That's what you're looking for, and that's what you get at Farm Bureau. The Saints, who that? Saints Nation. I don't like all this nation stuff, Roger. People say, you know, Saints Nation, Bulldog Nation. Yeah. And that's just, I don't like it. But anyway, so every time I say that, it's facetiously. You know, like that or rivalries. <laughs> Cross-conference rivalries. You're, yeah, you're on I mean, a tear this week. Look, if it's a rivalry, you don't have to say it is. That's right. If it's a rivalry, it's got another name. The Iron Bowl. The Egg Bowl. Right. You know? The, you don't have to say it's a rivalry. Don't tell me that Mississippi State and Kentucky are cross-division rivals. Kiss my foot. So let it be written, so let it be done. <laughs> That's right. No, the Saints, Houdat, and Houdat Nation, all they wanted was to make sure that their receiver, Michael Thomas, inked a contract so that he's around for a long time. He was the NFL's leading receiver last year. A lot of that's because he plays for the Saints and Sean Payton with Drew Brees, but nobody's asking me my opinion and who's good and who's not. He is good. A lot of guys would have huge numbers if they play in that offense with Drew Brees. I'm just saying. But they like him. Good guy, good receiver, dependable player. They gave him a five-year, I think it's five years, whatever it was, $100 million contract. It's the most anybody's ever paid a wide receiver. Chris Mortensen, ESPN, said it was just a matter of time. They were going to get it done. Contract stories, for the most part, are the most overhyped stories Mm -hmm. in the NFL this time of year. I mean, we've we've had holdouts going way back, Mike. In a lot of different ways, Michael Thomas came in as a second-round pick. One advantage is he didn't have a fifth, uh, a fifth-year fifth option. Right, right. But the other thing is, in his first three years with his production, he's never made more than a million dollars in base salary. He's been under a million dollars in base salary, so he's really making up for what mm-hmm. for what he hasn't what he's done compared to his uh, salary. And so, nineteen point two five, it's a fair salary. When I got on the plane to come up to Bristol yesterday. We're reviewing some of these contract holdouts. The one thing that was told was Michael Thomas is going to get done any day now, and any day now is today. So uh, Saints thought we're hoping to get it done before training camp. They've got it done, and there's nothing shocking about that number. Chris Mortensen, ESPN. 
Nothing shocking about that number. Just thinking about something. What's that? We'll probably live to see, if, you know, we're lucky. I mean, I don't get it by bus on the way home. <laughs> a billion dollar contract before it's over. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to see it. Yeah, we'll see it at some point. I don't know. I mean, uh, any bubble could burst between now and then. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. All right. So looking ahead, Roger, did you get that number I sent you? Got it. Okay, good. So in just a bit, if you're tuning in here, you're uh, going to hear a conversation with Matt Stinchcomb. Matt is a hey, former first-round hey, draft pick. Hey, Roger, you left your mic on there. How are you? Roger's a first-round – I'm sorry, not Roger. Ro- Roger's first-round draft pick? Matt's first-round draft pick, former out of Georgia, played for the Georgia Bulldogs in the 90s, was drafted in the first round of the Oakland Raiders, played many years in the NFL, and has parlayed that into a pro career as an analyst with – ESPN and the SEC Network does a fantastic job. Got to just, I mean, he was busy. I was busy. Got to barely bump into him for a minute or two over at SEC Media Days. But it's that time of year to flap our gums and talk a little football. And so Matt is on your radio right now on the Divinity Equipment phone. Matt, I appreciate some time, man. Hope you're well. Man, I'm doing great. It's good to see you, but you're right. We were two ships passing in the night on Radio Row at <laughs> SEC Media Days. <laughs> That's it. Although I will say, um, you know, I did notice as we were talking, you and I both are like a foot and a half taller than anybody else there. Like if we were starting a Radio Row basketball team, you're, number, you're pick number one, I'm pick number two, I think. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, if you saw my handles, you would realize that I should probably be pick number two. However... <laughs> I don't think I ever played a basketball game when I did not use all five of my allotted fouls. I made them count. Yeah, and so some coach somewhere along the way looked at you and said, man, this kid's perfect for football, right? Is that how it worked? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, Before the football, though, I have to ask you, your Twitter picture is uh, you and uh, Chewy Chewbacca – from Star Wars, and y'all are about the same yep. height. Y'all are about the same height to put that in perspective. Where'd you Where'd you get up close and personal with Chewie? Uh, it was a couple of years ago. At uh, me and the kids were at Disney World, <laughs> and uh, I saw him standing there, and I can remember growing up thinking, "Man, that guy's he's a giant." Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, "Oh, wait a second, I might." Uh, I don't know if I'm quite eyeball to eyeball with Chewy, but um, anyway, yeah, we uh, <laughs> we got a kick out of that. Of course, um, he wouldn't he wouldn't speak to me. There's some weird rule about. Of course, I wouldn't understand him anyway. I don't speak Wookie, so. <laughs> right? But you wanted to test it out anyway. But they have a rule, so he. Can... Florida State. Yeah, I was wondering if he was from the South. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that's good. I was just curious. Had to ask. I saw that. Uh, I'm also curious your thoughts <laughs> as you uh, as you look at um, kind of peeking ahead now. or less than a month away. We're going to start seeing SEC teams tee it up, play a little football. And one of the things that we have is transfer quarterbacks expected to play and make a difference. So start off there for me, Matt. As a guy who played the game at every level, what do you anticipate the impact to be this year in the SEC from transfer quarterbacks? Well, I mean, 
you know, look, we opened in Kentucky, right? Mm. So they're a year removed from starting Terry Wilson. He's a transfer guy, even though he has a, uh, he'll have three more years of eligibility. Uh, this being his second, uh, so two more years of eligibility, rather. Got there with three more. Uh, but transferred, was formerly with Oregon, and uh, was a difference maker for that team, at least especially in their streak-breaking win versus Florida early on in the season. Um, you know, I think you could probably look at where you are right now, Starple, and you know whether or not you'll see a transfer quarterback, Steven, step in there and and make a difference mm. right out of the gate. Well, he ended up being the guy with the familiarity that he certainly must have with Coach Moorhead's uh, offense and experience therein. So, you know, do you start there? Uh, I think that that could be one of the more prominent ones. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. there's opportunity in Missouri with Kelly Bryant uh, to to really be a I think a disruptor in the East. Mm. Um, he's certainly anticipating being able to make some differences. You know, losing the Crockett kid at running back I think took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, but you know, you get the Okuwebenam kid at tight end back. An offensive line that's largely intact. Um, you know, Missouri could mess around and, and mess somebody's season up. I don't think they win the division. Uh, but I'll be fascinated to see what that uh, Tiger offense, the Missouri version of the Tigers anyway, uh, looks like with a talent like Kelly Bryant, who, as we all know, lost his, his job at Clemson to Trevor Lawrence because of his inability to drive the football down the field. So, mm. Uh, in the passing game. You know, well, how does Derek Dewey engineer around that when certainly he had quite the opposite with Drew Locke? Um, I'm very interested to see what that looks like. You know, those are among the more prominent, I think, elements uh, as their transfer quarterback impact is concerned. Um, and, you know, in, in both sides of the conference. Sure. Matt Stinchcomb on your radio right now. If you aren't listening and you don't follow him on Twitter, give him a follow at mstench 79 uh, that handle, you can find it on mine. Uh, we tweeted a, a preview of this coming up, so you can find it there at Radio White as well. Matt, um, is it is it as simple as this is Georgia and Alabama and everybody else again, and, and we already know that, or is it a little more murky than that? What do you think? You know, it could get murky, but you know, on the outset, you know, we're looking at it preseason, you're looking at schedules, and, of course, Georgia's schedules – uh, albeit an East Division schedule, uh, it's a good bit more daunting, I think, than Alabama's, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you consider that they've invited Notre Dame to come play in Week 3. Um, but looking at it and not knowing how good Florida might be in the East Division, yeah. you know, not knowing what Missouri looks like, we got to keep in mind you know, Missouri gave Georgia more than they wanted, more than they probably should have. Uh, when George went on the road a season ago and really got stacked up at the line of scrimmage, did not play well in the run game, and really thrived off of turnovers to secure that victory over the Tigers. You know, if Kelly Bryant uh, is that uh, catalyst for them offensively, you know, is Missouri good enough to come to Athens and win a game late in the season when they played well? You know, they might be. Uh, would that be enough to topple Georgia from the East Division? I don't think so. Um, but there certainly is a chance. If you look at that West Division draw for Georgia, you know, it, 
they didn't pick up an easy one with Texas A&M. Obviously, they get them at home, but uh, I'm pretty high on the Aggies. I don't think that they're. I don't think their record's going to reflect a quantum leap in year two under Jimbo Fisher, only because you know coming into the year they're going to play you know all three of the top teams in the country. You got to play Clemson at Clemson. You got to play Georgia at Georgia, and you get Alabama at home. You know nobody's lining up to get that slate of games. So, um, but Georgia's schedule. You know, late in the season, kind of towards the, the latter half of the season, it gets pretty squirrely. I mean, they play, uh, I think, six straight SEC teams. That's not the anomaly. The anomaly is that five of those games, the team that they're playing had a bye week prior to their playing Georgia. Mm. There's nobody else in the conference that's going to deal with that. Three of those five, Georgia will also will, will not be coming off a bye week. The other two, they will. You know, the argument, does a bye week help you or hurt you? I don't know, but once you get past midpoint, you know, sometimes a little bit of rest and an extra week to prepare comes in handy. So, you know, from a scheduling standpoint, if Georgia was done no favors in that regard, that's, that's somewhat uh, unique to be facing that many teams in conference where they're coming off a bye and you aren't. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that pops up uh, in what would otherwise look like a pretty clear-cut race uh, with Georgia and Bama ending up in uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium at the end of the year. Very interesting. You know, you know, and as it relates to schedule, this is uh, less a specific schedule question, more of an overall. This is something that's been discussed on this show a lot. It's something I, you know, have pretty strong opinions about, Matt. I wonder where you fall in this discussion of this current scheduling model that we have. You know, we're playing eight conference games and four nons. And because of Alabama, Tennessee, and Auburn versus Georgia being these protected cross-division games, the rest of the league has to have a permanent non-division. And so it means we've got this rotation. Like Florida went to Starkville last year. The next time they go to Starkville in this rotation is like 2030 or something like that. And wow. to, to, yeah. me, to me, to have a 12-year in-between going visiting you know a, a stadium in the other division is not necessarily the best thing for the conference long term do you have any thoughts on that and, and if so is it fixable is it is there even a solution well you know I'm a big fan of the traditional rivalries um, but not at all costs hmm. um, I, I, you know in my eyes Georgia Auburn is sacred and it's sacred because, personally speaking, uh, I played at Georgia. A bunch of my classmates and buddies from high school, they all went to Auburn. It's sacred. I want to keep playing them. Um, mainly because I think we've won 13 out of the last 15. That's not important. <laughs> what, what is important? <laughs> well, but rivalries do matter. You know, the fact that we don't have Pittsburgh, West Virginia anymore kind of turns my stomach. You know, it bothers me that we don't have Nebraska-Oklahoma anymore. Um, there's these games, you know, Texas-Texas A&M. Um, the, the fact that those are all due to uh, leaving a conference makes it a little more palatable. But the idea that we would consciously um, walk away from some of those rivalries, and let, let's be real, the, the Auburn-Georgia rivalry is – uh, I think there's a great deal more parity. There just is, especially in recent years, despite the 13 out of 15 I just referenced. 
uh, in those other two years, Auburn had a national championship caliber team, won it in one year, lost it in the other. Mm-hmm. So they've had good programs. You know, all Alabama, Tennessee is lopsided. We can't assume that that's going to always be the case. Um, and it was a great game. Maybe they want to try, decide in and of themselves that they don't want that rivalry to persist. And, well, then now you've got an island uh, in Georgia-Auburn. How are you going to figure it out? I'm not certain that long-term, Matt, we don't end up seeing a, a uh, reallocation or redistribution of the existing teams mm. to what would be make more geographic sense. Um, you know, mm. pick Missouri in the West because they're kind of in the West. And maybe you pull Auburn over into the East and everybody says, oh, well, what if you have Auburn, Alabama, and then Auburn, Alabama get in the SEC championship game? Oh, well. Who knows if we're even playing an SEC championship game by then? So there's a lot that can change. Um, I, I'm not a, I'm not one of those that, as a broadcaster, I'd love to see nine conference games because I'm selfish and I want more conference games or better games. Um, but I don't think it makes sense right now, given the national landscape and the way the SEC is perceived. I don't know that you need to go picking more fights in the most uh, competitive conference in the country um, if you don't have to. Mm. And you know, there's some teams that have guaranteed, almost guaranteed, anyway, I should say, built-in uh, non-conference Power Five rivals, like a Florida, Florida State, like a South Carolina, Clemson, like a Georgia, Georgia Tech. Um, the West Division doesn't have those, um, so it's a little bit different in that regard. The East Division's got three teams, though, where it's built-in. You're playing nine Power Five FBS games every year. Yeah. Yeah. Because of that mandate from Mike Sly when he was the commissioner, which was a good thing. And it, it almost sounds like, Matt, are you saying that it kind of sounds like there are a lot of people that maybe are in charge that probably agree, hey, yeah, you know, long term, there may be a time when you, you know, maybe what's best is to play more conference games. But at the moment, with the current playoff structure, we're not going to f- try to fix something that's not broken from an SEC standpoint. Is that kind of what I'm seeing? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've had one college football playoff, I shouldn't say playoff, championship game, where an SEC team wasn't uh, a representative. Yeah. Now, albeit, it's been Alabama, 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 Georgia. Yeah. But, um, and we had an all-SEC national championship game just one season ago. Um, so because of that, or one championship ago, anyway. <laughs> Bottle's working pretty good. Yeah. It's the teams are getting, and it was a long discussion. We just got out of a meeting um, for uh, our, our college football seminar that we hold every year for, for ESPN, and they said that the conversation about keeping Georgia out of the top four at the end of the season last year was a really difficult conversation, um, and that's after having lost to LSU and Alabama in the SEC championship game. So. Um, the model works. The model works in the BCS. So far, it's worked in the college football playoff. Uh, until that changes, I don't know why. What would compel you to go to nine? Gotcha. Well, and and I've only got about a minute left, Matt. But I, I you know, I do think that if the if declining attendance, it's not monumental. Yeah. It's just steady decline. If that continues, maybe that pushes it over the edge, but. I do feel like, you know what, You're right. a couple of years away from that at least? 
you know, that's the thing is, you know, how, how quickly does that accelerate? Yeah, Does right. it decelerate? Does it stagnate? Um, you know, there are teams, you know, I just read an article today saying that, I don't know if this, how accurate this is or not, they are contracting the capacity of Bryant-Denny Stadium. Mm-hmm. That's hard to imagine yeah. in a state that has no pro teams and has enjoyed, you know, stratospheric uh, levels of achievement on the football field. We're going to make it. We're going to contract capacity. That's got to be, in, in, at least in some ways, a response to a reduction in in attendance. Yeah. So, definitely a big concern, and it should be a big concern. It's important to have people on campus. It, it's what makes college football, I think, uh, so separate and apart special in, in every positive way from, you know, the, the NFL, frankly. Mm. I mean, there's some areas that are the tailgate, there's a scene, and there's this atmosphere, uh, but not many, not in, in the NFL. And in the SEC, it's just about every town. Um, so to see that abate um, and reduce is kind of concerning. Matt, I really appreciate the time, buddy, very, very much. Thank you. Yes, sir. Coach me up on those quarterbacks. I will do my best. It's, I did think about that, though, and I thought, well, heck, if I was any good at it, I might be coaching. You might want to ask a real coach. <laughs> but <laughs> you're, 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 you're educating the math. That's it. That's it. Yeah, well, happy to talk to you anytime you know that, and I just appreciate your time. Talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. See you. See you later. Matt Stinchcomb in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. (laughs) Back on the show. That's the sign right there. Is the uh, the hawk? I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio, connected to you because of Seaspire, the number one network in Mississippi. Little close to home breaking news in Major League Baseball: former Ole Miss starting pitcher Drew Pomerantz, first round draft pick at Ole Miss. I think that what the A's drafted Pomerantz, and then he's pitched. For one other team, maybe. Anyway, uh, well, I mean, maybe two now. I don't know. I, he's been with the Giants, but the Giants are trading Drew Pomerantz to the Brewers. Yep. So Pomerantz is about to be with the Brewers. Yeah, because he was with the Red Sox also. Maybe that's who drafted him. I just know he's bounced around a little bit. But anyway, that news just coming down the pipe. Former first-round pick out of Ole Miss, Drew Pomerantz, is uh, now being traded to the Brewers, so you'll have him and um, Brandon Woodruff on the same staff. You want to be a part of the show? You can be. You can call me on the Divini phone, Divini Equipment, Madison and Jackson. Here's the number, 601-995-1059. Got it? 995-1059. You can also text the show, 885-ESPN. A lot of texts have come in, so hey, boys. Tim and Jonathan and Fluffy and JR and the mailman and Pat, I'm getting to all your texts right here. Tim earlier said, pretty much any music you grew up with or you want to hear 
records that you were unable to buy years ago, they're all on YouTube. And with these Bluetooth receivers, it's a beautiful thing. You're right. And it's all free, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, anything. I, yeah, I'm old enough to remember that. You'd hear songs on the radio or you'd catch a whiff of one and you'd think, what is that? I really liked it. And it might be years before you realize what it actually was or you got to even hear it again. And you couldn't just run out and buy it. Now you don't have to. Uh, Jonathan was letting me know that uh, Yasil Puig of the Reds was actually traded 30 minutes before the fight. And he wasn't even really on the team at the time of the fight. <laughs> it's crazy. Between the Reds and the uh, Pirates last night. I've never seen a pitcher do what Amir Garrett did. Standing on the mound with his catcher and his coach, jawing back and forth, and he just dropped, turned, and sprinted directly into the opposing dugout. They come out, and he just went face first into a sea of Pittsburgh Pirates and took them all on at once. And here comes Amir Garrett. He's leaving the mound. He wants a piece of somebody. Amir Garrett takes a swing and gets a punch. The Pirates bench is emptied. Amir Garrett went thrown. flying, and they are hitting each other punches all over the place. This, this is not your This is like... a real fight. <laughs> Derek Dietrich involved. There are punches being thrown. Somebody got a haymaker from Amir Garrett. Chris Archer being held back. Kyle Crick wants a piece of someone. Oh, now we got Puig taking. Puig wants Crick, but Crick wants nothing to do with him. Kyle Crick wants nothing to do with Puig, and who can blame him? And now the scrum continues in front of the pirate dugout. This is a real Donnybrook. Roger, it sounded like a wrestling call, didn't it? He got to say scrum and Donnybrook in the same <laughs> sentence. I love it. Isn't that great? That's talent right there. It really is. Now, a great what was call. the motivation? What, what happened that set him off? You said he was talking to his coach. Okay. But the coach said, hey, those guys over there. Apparently, apparently, the Reds players felt like the pitchers for the Pirates during the game had been throwing at some of their own hitters' heads. This is what the guy who did it, who sprinted by himself to take on the whole Pirates team, Amir Garrett, this is what he said after the game. Look, the game was going so smoothly. They were up and for a guy to come in. And you know, you know it's on purpose. You know, we have history with them. So... You know, it, it just gets to a point where, you know, nobody's protecting us. And, um, you know, like I said, I can't tell you really much what happened. You know, I was angry. Um, you know, today it wasn't a, it wasn't about baseball. You know, it was about protecting my teammates and, and you know, protecting this brotherhood. <laughs> protecting the brotherhood. Well, you know, baseball players have it right, though. If you're going to hit somebody, don't hit your girlfriend. Hit the other team, man. <laughs> And boy, Roger, that was good. I'd like to see a little more, uh, a few more fights on the football field. Yeah, Get that going. Let I me mean. tell you what. Now, see, now I got news for you. You just you, hurt yourself trying to hit somebody. <laughs> you could. It's a good way to get hurt. Punching yeah. something, no doubt. Um, Fluffy said Ron Gant and Gary Gaetti were the power in that Cardinals lineup. Ray Lankford wasn't bad. You talking about the the Cardinals team before McGuire got there? Fluffy? All right. JR said, hey, Matt, Cincinnati Reds traded Frank Robinson to the Orioles for Milt Pappas. 
<laughs> and Robinson won the Triple Crown his first year with the Orioles. Yeah, and look, nobody really even remembers that Frank Robinson played for the Reds. We only remember that he played for the Orioles. That was another terrible trade on one team's behalf, no doubt about it. All right, Jackson. Yeah, um, the, the mailman in Jackson wants the details on Michael Thomas's contract with the Saints. And it, like I say, it just came down in the last 24 hours. I do know that it was upwards of $100 million. It's a five-year contract worth $100 million with $61 million in new guaranteed money. It also includes a $20 million signing bonus. So there you go. That's all you need to know. What do you think it's like to have a deal go down and you wake up the next day with $20 million in your bank account? I mean, like, what's your reaction to that? I know what I would do. I'd go to Cracker, the nearest Cracker Barrel and have breakfast and just buy everybody else's. That's what I was thinking. What am I having for breakfast? <laughs> it shows you. Because I can Roger, have anything I want. <laughs> and there is the prime example of why we are not or never were really primed to be highly paid athletes. <laughs> is that if you give us $20 million, the first thing we're going to do is go get bacon and eggs and biscuits. <laughs> Where you got that football body from. That's it. <clears throat> in talking with Matt Stinchcomb, uh, Pat texted in. He said, I don't like the nine conference games idea. One team gets five home games, the other gets four. That's right. If you had nine, it throws the balance off somewhere in there. Um, excuse me. Had to sneeze on the radio. Had to hit the button. Yeah, it does. That's why they need to go to 10 conference games. But again, with that being the solution, Pat, with that being the solution to go to 10 conference games and play two non-conferences, it puts it on farther out there. And it puts it in a, a realm of it's just going to take longer for things to develop on the, uh, on the negative side of this to kind of force that into action. Now, the other thing is, though, if you heard what Matt said, Matt is plugged in, a really, really highly intelligent guy. One of these, it's like never been anything but a 4.0 or better. Super-duper intelligent guy. And if you listen to what he said, and I tweeted that that quote because it resonated with me, and it, and it should with you, too, if you're a fan uh, of Southeastern Conference stuff. His quote was, I'm not certain that long-term we don't end up seeing a redistribution of the existing SEC teams to what would make more geographic sense. So you got to think about what is the ramifications if they were to make that change. Auburn to the east, Missouri to the west. What does it do to the Western Division? What does it do to the east? But also to the rivalry thing. I think what you might have, if they do that, there are some teams that might be allowed to play a rotation and others that would still have the permanent and just say forget it. I, but I think that's a feasible idea. Still a little ways to go with you here on this Wednesday, so give me a shout on the Divinity phone. Coming up next, here in the studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.
Back on the show. I live in Tupelo. Roger used to live up this way. I did. Roger's Little community out there called Eggville. I used to stay at. Eggville, yeah, absolutely. Right where it is. We go up there to Skyline sometime. I caught some big bass in a. Wait a minute, no, that wasn't Eggville. That was in Randolph. There's a community, a small community out of out from Pontotoc. That one. That's yeah. the other place I stayed. Randolph, huh? Uh, Randolph, and then you you go out past Randolph, you get to a community called Buckhorn. Buckhorn, yes. I uh, used you to go, to go down some dirt roads, didn't you? Yeah, I sure did, man. I love it. There's nothing I enjoy more than riding down dirt roads. That's where I learned to drive, and my dad thought it would be interesting. Okay, first you're going to learn to drive on a stick shift and on a gravel road. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Well, it's like the Frank Sinatra song. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. If you can, right. If you can drive this on this road, you can drive anything on any road. Uh, Prepared now, me for icy conditions. <laughs> that's right. I used to go fishing in a little watershed pond in Randolph, and uh, it was kind of secret and full of big, healthy, largemouth bass. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, ooh, yeah, it gets me thinking. Anyway, <laughs> here's the point. Here's the point. You know, Elvis is everything up this way. This is the birthplace of the king. We have a multi, multi-million dollar <laughs> operation in terms of a tourism thing up here, the Tupelo CVB, that is all about Elvis. It's, oh, this is a big month coming up, ain't it? It's a big month coming up. Listen to this news, Roger. For once, y'all, I want to soak y'all. Everybody, soak this in. For once, I have a local news story that Roger doesn't already know about. <laughs> Lisa Marie Presley has signed a massive deal for a bombshell book about Michael Jackson and Elvis. Oh my! Here's what it says. Lisa Marie Presley is, is signing a blockbuster book deal to reveal shocking details of course. about her ex, Michael Jackson, and a new perspective on her father, Elvis Presley. A source said that Lisa Marie, uh, that the Lisa Marie book is such a bombshell, she has sold it to gallery books for between three and four million dollars, I'll be I'll be getting a copy. But hold on a minute. Does that not sound like a low amount to you in twenty? How much? What well, says she has sold it to Gallery Books for between three and four million dollars? I guess she did the book. They buy it from her, and then they go sell as many copies as they can possibly sell. I mean, I guess I'm. If I'm looking at this right, it's going to be distributed by Gallery Books. Meaning that is low. That seems low. She needs Hillary. Hillary's agent. Hillary got a bank for her book. She's 51 years old now. She was married to Michael Jackson '94, '95, and '96. Secret wedding. On and on and on. 2010, she offered a cryptic account of how the marriage ended in an interview with Oprah Winfrey. 
quote, there was a very profound point in the marriage when he had to make a decision. Was it the drugs and the sort of vampires or me? And then she says, and he pushed away. And by vampires, she added that she meant sycophants. Hmm. The people around him, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a lot of irony there because, you know, her her dad, they, from, from what uh, her mom would say, he, he wouldn't come down the stairs until he was, quote, Elvis. He had yeah. to have his yeah. stuff. And, and Lisa Marie has said that Michael Jackson would never let her see him without his makeup on. Really? Yeah. What kind of marriage is that? Yeah. Um, and Elvis made the same choice on the drugs. Yeah, he sure did. She also told Oprah, the one thing that correlates with Michael and my father on this subject is that they had the luxury of creating whatever reality around them they wanted to create. How about that? Okay, so anyway, I'm just giving you a heads up. Here comes a book. Lisa Marie, all about Michael Jackson. I mean, the one person in the history of the universe who had a direct immediate relationship with the two biggest pop stars in the history of the universe. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? Only the daughter of Elvis could have married Michael Jackson. And then, you know, <laughs> okay. 20, 25 years later, write a tell-all book about it. Uh, here's another piece of news you need to be aware of. Okay, and if you're a sports fan, you're about to get slammed in the face with this, too. For days now, what have you heard about? You All you've heard about is Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for the Cowboys, holding out a training camp to try to get a new contract. He's got two years left and $6 million, but he's holding out anyway. And he's training in Cabo San Lucas instead of training with you know in the States and this weird stuff. Add this on to it. It came out yesterday. There is now a $20 million lawsuit filed against... Well, involving Ezekiel Elliott. Frisco, Texas resident Ronnie Hill filed a lawsuit seeking $20 million from the Cowboys and Elliott. Filed it yesterday. Court documents say Cowboys interfered with Frisco Police's investigation into an auto crash in January 2017 to make sure that Elliott wouldn't miss her playoff game. Let me summarize this to you. This guy, Ronnie Hill, is sitting at a red light. Allegedly, Ezekiel Elliott, driving a big Escalade, was late for practice. Came buzzing through, ran the red light, sideswiped his car, hit him. They all get out. They're looking at damage, all this kind of stuff. The running back's coach for the Cowboys reportedly shows up, talks to the police, sends Elliott away, says we'll take care of it. It goes away. Nothing filed against Ezekiel Elliott. All this kind of nothing filed. Quote, while Hill was trying to compose himself and assess the situation, Elliot, who was late for practice, had already notified Dallas Cowboy personnel who were on the scene and had already spoken with the police department before Hill even knew what was happening. Hill initially sought $1 million from Elliot, but now the team is included in the lawsuit and he wants $20 million. The man's car had over $30,000 in damages. The airbags did not deploy. He sought medical treatment on the day of the accident. 
His attorney said he's been having persistent problems since. Did not offer details on the extent of the problems. 20 million bucks. How did they interfere? I mean, did the police say they interfered? No. This guy. That's going to be your mm -hmm, go to. (laughs) This guy and his attorney allege that they interfered. $20 million. I can't imagine he didn't get something from his insurance company. Well, somebody's insurance paid for car repairs. You can bet on that now. If he got sideswiped, that could be some damage there. $30,000 $30,000 in damages, but the airbags didn't deploy. That's a sideswipe, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah, what it yeah. is. Certain cars have, the, not, not a lot of them, more of them now have the side impact yeah. airbags. But, yeah. Elliot was not cited by police. He uh, Ezekiel Elliott was driving a GMC Yukon. At the scene of the crash, Ezekiel Elliott admitted fault, and the Frisco police also concluded that the crash was Elliott's fault. Elliott and running backs coach Gary Brown, who was on the scene, told Hill not to worry about it. Go get checked out, and we'll take care of everything. That's what they told the other guy who got hit. And then it says, if anyone had actually reported the impact of the accident and had Elliott been examined, he would most likely have been placed in concussion protocol and out for the Cowboys' playoff game. Upon information and belief, the Dallas Cowboys conspired with the Frisco police to cover up the severity of the accident to assure that Elliott's health would not be placed in question before their playoff game. That's what the lawsuit alleges also. They want $20 million. In this. And you know what they're... They, they know they're not getting $20 million. What they're hoping is... They get a settlement. Amen? I think he probably deserves one. You're sitting there minding your own business. Some clown mm-hmm. runs right over you almost. Could have killed him. Could have killed him. 30,000 damages. If he doesn't have any medical uh, evidence, it's going to be hard to get much. That's right. Get some go-away money. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I yeah. think that's what they're after. That's probably here. a long way from $20 million, though. Yeah. Um, on the text line real quick before we run out of time, Rebel Greg texted the show and said the bombshell is, quote, Elvis is still alive. (laughs) Well, man, for Elvis's sake, I almost kind of hope not because have you seen the pictures they've made of him, what he would look like if he were still alive? Man, (laughs) I kid. I, I, we all wish he were still alive. Yes. If he aged gracefully, but if he didn't, he'd be like. Michael, he wouldn't let us see him without makeup. <laughs> right. And his, and his hair died. Drew Maroon's funny there. Yeah. Can you? This is what they said. Could you imagine if Lisa Maria had, had kids and they the kids could say, my dad is Michael Jackson and my granddad is Elvis Presley. And boy, can I dance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to dance right on out of here. Roger and I will see you all tomorrow. See you then. See ya. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.